millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Explaining History podcast, and today I'm going to talk about the Supreme Council of the Paris Peace Conference and the different powers that comprise the Council, why they were on the Council, what they were seeking to achieve, and what difficulties, contradictions and clashes arose as a result. The Supreme Council was, in essence, the leaders of Britain, France, America, Italy and Japan, along with their foreign secretaries which was referred to also as the Council of Ten. By March, and this is, by the way, in January, by March, this had become the Council of Four. Not only had the Japanese removed themselves from the talks, but also foreign secretaries and foreign ministers had also been sidelined, and it was simply a concentrated group of four world leaders, Britain, France, America and Italy. And finally, the Italians would exit the conversation uh, when it became clear that promises made to them at the Treaty of London in 1915 were not going to be honoured. Uh, but we'll come to that later on. The meeting places for the Supreme Council of the uh, Paris Peace Conference were at the, in the state rooms of the Quai d'Orsay, which is the kind of nerve centre, the epicentre of French foreign policy, where the French foreign ministry uh, resides. And they would meet at the inner sanctum uh, office of France's foreign minister, Stephen Pinchon. And this all played to uh, Clemenceau's strengths. Clemenceau uh, was on home territory here. He was uh, the host of the meeting, just as France was the host of the conference. And it gave him uh, additional leverage um, when dealing with uh, America and Great Britain. The council would meet daily, uh, sometimes up to three times, but mainly once or twice. There was a, an ad hoc agenda, um, a, a kind of a loosely defined set of priorities, but it was never um, overly formalised or overly uh, prescribed. And this in itself presented uh, difficulties and it presented uh, opportunities. The uh, powers and nations that were able to lobby hardest with uh, leaders such as Lloyd George or Wilson were able to make sure that their cause edged up the agenda. And issues were dealt with as they arose. So the talks were far from fixed, and it meant that certain um, matters rarely got discussed, 
and some issues that were still pressing crises as opposed to matters to be dealt with in the distant future. For example, ongoing civil war in Russia and the possibility of further wars over the disintegrating Ottoman Empire. These were uh, issues um, that were, took precedence periodically, whereas later matters about a, a final settlement uh, between France and Germany um, were very difficult to uh, bring um, to the, the forefront uh, when crises were uh, being dealt with. The pace of discussions was periodically frenetic, but very often uh, leisurely. Everybody was extremely well fed. And various assistants and aides and attaches would drift in and out with maps and documents and all the information that the uh, Allied leaders needed to make decisions about the, the future of Europe and indeed the rest of the world. Now the problem that they all face is that the clock is ticking on their power. Their forces are demobilising rapidly and the power is shrinking on a daily basis. General Pershing told Colonel Edward House, um, Wilson's top advisor, that uh, in spring 312,000 troops will be sent back to America um, in January. Uh, the record last month, it was 300,000. At this rate, all our troops will be in the United States by August the 15th. So that gave Wilson a very clear picture of how quickly he had to impose peace terms on Germany and the other defeated Central Powers. And all of them were aware that not only were there revolutionary uprisings happening across Europe throughout 1919 uh, and the possibility of uh, others from uh, immense uh, anger and uh, resentment uh, amongst uh, civilian populations, um, armed services and particular uh, industrial groups such as, uh, for example, in uh, Britain, miners, but also hunger and the possibility of famine in Europe and out outbreaks of uh, epidemics such as typhoid and cholera and of course the Spanish flu that was sweeping the world gave the peacemakers of the Supreme Council the impression that there really was precious little time to save what remained of Europe at all. Very little seemed to materially have taken place since the end of the war, since the armistice in November 1918. And the, there was a perhaps explanation for this in that the Allies had not envisaged the fighting to end so quickly. The uh, difference between the Paris Peace Conference and the wartime conferences uh, in the Second World War is it was abundantly clear from 1944 onwards that the Axis powers had lost the war and the British, the Americans and the Soviets had all, uh, all had um, well over a year to plan the shape of um, a, a, po a post-war settlement or to be discussing it between themselves. Immense energies were had to be poured into uh, winning the war in its final year, um, from spring 1918 up to early summer. It looked entirely possible as if the war in the West was lost and the Ludendorff offensives, uh, the four offensives from uh, Blucher York um, and Michael, um, seemed to push the British back almost to the coast and divide the British and French armies. And the collapse of the Ludendorff offensive and the full retreat 
of the German army by October 1918 was unprecedented and uh, something that could barely have been imagined or uh, planned for. So the collapse of Germany uh, um, led to a peace and an armistice happening at a far greater pace than the Allies could plan for. Hence, by December 1918, January 1919, there are still uh, so many unanswered questions about what to do with the peace now that it had actually arrived. Now, in Margaret Macmillan's excellent revisionist history of the Paris Peace Conference, uh, Peacemakers 1919, she quotes Winston Churchill. Churchill said, uh, of the war, What had we to do with the peace? While we did not know whether we should not be destroyed, who could think of reconstruction while the whole world was being hammered to pieces, or of demobilisation when the sole aim was to hurl every man and every shell into battle? While the war was raging, of course, all sides had visions of what they wanted the peace to look like. Some foreign ministries across Europe uh, and America had old visions and plans um, that could be dusted off. Some had new ideas about what opportunities could come for the war, particularly the view that Lloyd George had that there were plentiful opportunities in the now defunct Ottoman Empire. The British set up in 1917 the Special Inquiry um, and the American Inquiry that was set up in September 1917 uh, was set up under Colonel House. Both these inquiries had experts um, from historians to diplomats to military figures, even to missionaries, and they produced various studies about what could be achieved from the peace. Uh, in the United States, there were 66 reports on what to do about uh, Southeast Asia and the Pacific, and there was an awful lot of information about the British Empire, in point of fact, and it was assumed that in one set of uh, plans that perhaps the war would see the end of the British Empire. However, despite all this planning, most of the Allied leaders, in fact all of them, had seen relatively little of it. They had been, as we've said, occupied with winning the war. And by the time uh, the Paris Peace Conference begins, it's only really Wilson that's had the opportunity, while sailing across the Atlantic in the, in the George Washington, um, to have any kind of quality time, as it were, to look at maps, plans, reports, or anything else like that. And he doesn't even really do much of that while he's on his journey. He spends a lot of time in his stateroom not doing much of anything at all, leaving it to his 100-strong team to do most of the working out. Um, they were visiting his, uh, his chambers on the George Washington, asking him really to be involved, to make some decisions and to tell them what he wanted and what he envisaged. Uh, not too much uh, avail. And this led to a problem of conflicting priorities. Because you had uh, three or more world leaders who were partly shooting from the hip and whose formalised set of plans were not in any way in sync with one another, when you have um, Clemenceau attend the conference and his sole objective is to punish Germany and to secure France's eastern borders, um, the number of places down the list that the League of Nations comes is sig so significantly far 
that the uh, president, uh, Woodrow Wilson, rejects France's agenda out of hand and says that it is purely skewed towards French priorities and will not do. And this raised a second problem as to how decisions would be reached. There was no clear mechanism as to voting rights or who had a majority say at the table. And this was probably more uh, a reflection on the manner in which previous conferences, if you look at the Congress of Berlin or the Congress of Vienna in the 19th century, had operated. Uh, they had been the meetings of great statesmen who horse-traded things between one another in a very informal, port-and-cigars kind of way. And the new Paris Peace Conference um, that was in the full glare of world scrutiny and involved um, powers who had been immensely democratised in the uh, half-century since uh, the Congress of Berlin. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 40 years or so. Uh, since the, the Congress of Berlin, it was very difficult to have um, quite the same sort of uh, backroom dealings. Not to say that those didn't take place at Paris, because they certainly did, but the mechanism for decision-making had to be um, quite different. All the Allied powers were invited to the conference, which actually turned, uh, totaled some 29 powers. And the, there were powers, for example, like Siam, uh, Liberia, who had fought on the Allied side. And the question was, will, would they have an equal vote uh, compared to the British Empire delegation? Would, in fact, the entire British Empire be outvoted by uh, a combination of Siam and Panama? Woodrow Wilson was quoted as saying, We ought to have no formal conferences, but only conversations. To which Clemenceau thought that this was ludicrous, it would drag out the proceedings almost indefinitely, uh, and it would make sure that uh, the public, um, who in France were very keen on uh, revenge on Germany, and in Great Britain as well, in fact, would feel very disappointed that no concrete action against Germany was being taken. Wilson had no intention of allowing lesser powers to uh, derail the conference 
or to take away control of the agenda. Um, it was going to be his moment to uh, try to push through the League of Nations. Uh, but France had a long list of issues that they felt was completely um, irrelevant. Um, they didn't wish to discuss the League of Nations, Poland, Russia, uh, the Baltic states, um, the uh, aftermath of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, or the Balkans. They didn't see uh, issues pertaining to the Far East or the Pacific as being particularly important, or the Jewish affairs and the uh, Palestine Mandate and uh, the Balfour Declaration. Um, they weren't that concerned in discussing international river na uh, navigation, which was something that uh, Wilson suggested would be a great way of diverting um, lesser powers. So uh, the, the smaller countries, as they were previously mentioned, could be engaged in conversations over things like such as water navigation um, or the control of international railways, um, the legislation to make sure um, there was self-determination. These are issues that the French didn't want to discuss either. Uh, protection for um, minorities. Um, and it's a terrible irony, really, that the question of self-determination and the question of um, ethnic minorities, these are precisely the issues that Hitler would later use in order to unpick the Treaty of Versailles and to launch a second war in Europe, which France obviously suffered. And questions of um, patents, trademarks, uh, war crimes, um, reparations, and uh, economic and financial questions. The one thing that the uh, French wanted to dis discuss more than anything else was um, the treaty with Germany, which would really make up the mainstay of the Treaty of Versailles. This, as I've said, was an uh, international conference unlike any other. The Congress of Berlin was attended by various correspondents and satirists from magazines such as Punch, for example, who wrote all sorts of amusing cartoons about Disraeli and Lord Salisbury. But in real time, the, with the use of telegraph and modern means of mass communication and mass printing, the whole story of the deliberations at the Paris Peace Conference was relayed back to populations across Europe and in the United States and across the rest of the world um, in real time. That people were finding out uh, day by day what was being discussed and, and deliberated. And this had never happened before. And this places world leaders in connection with their populations and in complicated power relationships with mass populations back home. Um, in ways which had uh, never existed before, and it kind of clips their wings a little bit. It makes sure that they are responsive to the whims of the people they serve um, and the responsive to ideas of national pride and irredentism, let's say, for example, in the case of Italy, um, and revenge in the case of France, to some extent Great Britain as well. And this also, this kind of constrains the hands of various world leaders at the conference. One of the most significant outpourings of public anger during the Paris Peace Conference 
happens in China during the May the 4th uh, movement. The May the 4th movement, or the May the 4th protests, explode in rage across Beijing and countless other cities uh, in China when it turns out that uh, Britain and America and France and the rest of the Supreme Council have sold China down the river and agreed to Japan's control of the Shandong uh, Peninsula. Now, if you go back one or two podcasts, I did uh, a thing about Japan in the First World War and about the claims that Japan makes uh, over China and the, the 21 demands and the 13 demands. And um, the, the position that China is in when it comes to the peace conference and the, um, di- the, the direct democratic effect on Chinese people um, when they hear that the um, conference that they had longed for um, had um, stabbed them in the back. Many Chinese people um, cheered the end of the First World War, not because Chinese uh, soldiers had been fighting it, other than obviously the uh, general labourers had been treated extremely badly on the Western Front, but they cheered it because they thought this was an end to a particular phase of history. This, it, was an, it would be a conference where a fair deal for countries like China would be called and the Chinese people would be then freed of Western imperialism, uh, which obviously doesn't happen. Lots of journalists moaned about the fact that the uh, proceedings were very secretive. Um, Wilson had said that he wanted open covenants in his 14 points, but this didn't include um, o- things being open to press scrutiny. Um, Wilson said that there shouldn't be no more secret treaties, but this didn't mean that the uh, public and the press would be there to pick over the bones of anything the politicians said while in conversation with another world leader. There were widespread agreements coming from Clemenceau and from Lloyd George, who believed it was uh, ludicrous to allow every decision that was being uh, made to be reported on every single day. And Lloyd George said that there should be some kind of press management, a daily uh, press release. Um, the British had obviously been the masters of uh, press management um, during the First World War and had managed to harness public relations in a way that no other power had come close to. Um, this was um, generally agreed, and Wilson thought it was a good idea. The American press corps don't. The American press corps uh, believed it was their democratic duty to report back to the American people precisely what it is Wilson was agreeing to, uh, because they didn't trust him. The American uh, newspaper men looked upon Wilson as being a naive fool, and uh, Clemenceau and Lloyd George as a couple of wily Europeans who would tie him in knots if he wasn't exposed to public scrutiny and decisions that Wilson was making couldn't later be revoked. And this is a, a general view of Wilson um, that perpetuated throughout the press and throughout um, large sections of the American population that he was a high-handed idealist, a high-minded idealistic man um, who was capable of uh, great folly. Now, if you look at Adam Tooze's history of um, the world history from 1916 to 1931, the deluge, 
very different a picture of Wilson emerges, uh, quite a canny operator who's not there to um, sell American interests down the river in the uh, expectation that he will create some kind of delightful liberal world order. Now here really is a, um, a great uh, American salesman, a guy who's there to get what he can for American commercial interests, particularly access to world markets and the freedom of the high seas, uh, which was then uh, uh, the only challenge to America at that point would have been Britain's Royal Navy. Some powers hope for a, a greater degree of proportionality. Uh, Brazil, um, Portugal, for example, had only one delegate. Portugal had sent 60,000 soldiers to the Western Front, um, and the Portuguese main rival um, to the negotiations uh, was, uh, was Brazil. Um, Portugal was an old friend of Great Britain, and the United States was supporting uh, Brazil, and the uh, Brazilians had managed to send one medical unit and a couple of pilots to the Western Front, um, and they wound up with three delegates. Um, but this, that was judged on the size of population, on that basis alone, democratic basis alone. Um, Port, um, Brazil seems to have a, a strong argument. The collapse of Russia, uh, Austria-Hungary, and the Ottoman Empire uh, meant that there were all sorts of states that were emerging and hadn't quite fully emerged by the end of the peace conference, so who was to represent them? Uh, countries like Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia. To which Lloyd George said, The task of the Paris Treaty Makers was not to decide in what, in fairness, should be given to the liberated nationalities, but what, in common honesty, should be freed from their clutches when they had overstepped the bounds of self-determination. And that tells you that Lloyd George saw new countries like Yugoslavia, Poland and uh, Czechoslovakia not as equal participants uh, at the Paris Peace Conference, but as nations to be formed and then sometimes to be slapped on the wrist if they took what he thought or what the uh, Supreme Council thought didn't belong to them. Now I'm going to continue this um, in uh, a little while. Um, we are going to look at the Supreme Council and how it responded to um, subjugated, uh, colonised peoples such as uh, India, the Kurds and uh, the Vietnamese or the Indo-Chinese who had come to the Paris Peace Conference uh, looking for justice and freedom. Anyway, thanks very much. I hope you've enjoyed this. And all remember, catch us on our Patreon page. And if you can give us a write-up on iTunes, be very grateful. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.